Well, brethren, it's good to be with you, and I appreciate the opportunity of being able to come tonight and to give you a brief report on what you are doing five to 6,000 miles away. One of the marvels of the New Testament church is that it is not restricted by geography or language. It is not uh, limited to the continents in which we live. And you, brethren, have an impact, as you've had for many, many years, uh, in Ukraine. Uh, Brother Buddy put me in touch with you as he was retiring, and, and Buddy's health is not doing well at all, uh, but Buddy was a great inspiration to many people, and so as he was getting ready to, to retire, he asked me if I would, would take and uh, come and present the, the news to you as to what you're doing, and, and you began partnering with me in the mission work. And so uh, now we, buddies, passed the baton and, and we are continuing that good work. As we begin, I'd like us to start with a scriptural focus. In fact, there's a number of, uh, of passages that talk about the, uh, the wonderful help and opportunity that God wants his people to give. In Proverbs 14, 31, the Bible says, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Well, back earlier in that chapter, verse 26, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Turn over a couple of pages, and you, you find these words in Proverbs 22. Or 21 in verse 13. The Bible says, He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Throughout the Old Testament times, there was the urgency of benevolence being, being practiced. And those that practiced that benevolence were seen as a, a reflection of God. And God looked upon them and God blessed them because they were helping those that were uh, in need. They were assisting the widows, the orphans, those that were oppressed, those that had hardships in any way. And that, that really is an eternal principle of God. And so what we find in the Old Testament, we also find in the New Testament. And as the New Testament church began, one of the first evidences of its godliness is that of its benevolent activities. Over in the book of Acts, time after time, the disciples would get together and, and they would perform a benevolent work. And as a consequence of that, great things would happen. For instance, over in Acts chapter 6, there you have there the, the problems with the uh, the widows that were being neglected in verse 1. And the church began to address that problem and they appointed those uh, that would help the widows. And as a result of that, verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And so here we see that whenever benevolence was done, that it had a positive impact, that the gospel was given an open door to be taught, and as a consequence, many individuals came to the truth and came to salvation. 
In Galatians 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let us, as we have opportunity, the Bible says, opportunity will not always be available to us. Ephesians 5 says that we are to seize the opportunity, to seize the moment, take advantage of the moment. And as the church takes advantage of the opportunities to help others and to teach and preach the gospel, then the church is going to grow. And what we do, we do it not for ourselves, but we do it for God. Again, in Galatians 6 and verse 14, Paul says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, I cite those verses to challenge us not only on a local level, but also to set a foundation for our efforts in Ukraine, and we also work in 23 other different nations using the same principles. And those principles are very simple, what we find in the Bible, the pattern of New Testament Christianity. Whenever the church functions as it should, it reaches out with the love of God. It helps those that are in need, regardless of where they are and who they are and what condition they're in. It helps them. And through that help, the people see the love of Christ, and they're open to study the Bible, and many of them will become a Christian. In Ukraine, there's a number of problems that we face. We face the, the fact that the traditional religion is that of Orthodox Christianity. And Orthodox Christianity is uh, divided into several different, uh, different groups. You have the Russian Orthodox, you have the Ukrainian Orthodox, and then you have the Greek Orthodox. Also in Ukraine, we have the Catholic Church, but that too is divided. Most of us are familiar with the Roman Catholic. That's the Western Catholic Church, but there is the Greek Catholic Church uh, that is more conservative and more aligned really with the Orthodox than, uh, than they are with the Roman Catholic Church. But we have the Greek Catholic Church. Now, many of the Ukrainians view themselves as religious, but they have inherited their religion. It's not a matter of the heart, of conviction. It's not a matter of instruction. It's a matter that they have been born into a country and their parents say, you know, you were baptized uh, and, and so you're, this is the church of your country. And for them to leave the Orthodox or the Catholic Church is like treason in the eyes of many of them. So that is the environment into which the Lord's Church entered. And our greatest quandary was how do you go into that kind of environment and preach and teach the simple New Testament gospel? Well, we look to the pattern that the apostles did in the first century. They faced taking the gospel into all the world, into nations that were steeped in their own traditional religions. Most of them were pagan, but they were still steeped within them. And so they had to, be, they had to work in an environment similar to what we were. And so we began in 1994 
shipping in benevolence or taking it in at that point, and then later on we began shipping in those items. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, that's what Buddy, later on, he helped me with several shipments, and uh, then he, as I said, handed the baton to me and several others as we continue working in that. Let me just stop right here and say I would love to send you email reports. I've got Matt's email. I send him reports. I send Brother Shockley reports. Uh, there may be others that get those reports, but if you would write your email address down, I would love to have a mail list for the Fountainhead Congregation, and you can receive a monthly newsletter. Today I just sent out the newsletter for July. So if you'll give me your email address, then as I get back, I will, will send you a copy of that tonight before I go to sleep. Uh, and so, but I need your email address, and please check. And if some of you gave me an email address that has changed, make sure that I have it. But we're partners together in this, and, and you need to know what's going on, and I want to communicate to you how your mission dollars are being spent and the urgent needs that they are answering. This is what we've done in 2016, year to date. We have sent 17 cargo containers. Now these cargo containers are those metal boxes that you see being hauled by the railroad trains, by seagoing vessels, uh, tractor trailers on the road. They're 40 foot long by 8 foot wide by 9 and a half feet tall. We fill those with uh, uh, relief items that are sent in and distributed by the church or distributed by those that will give the church credit. And therefore, we're making an impact. We try to focus largely upon the hospitals and the medical, upon the elderly, upon the orphans, and upon the schools. And we have shipped in uh, probably close to 400 containers into Ukraine at this point. And here are some of the stats for this year. You can see so far we this year have shipped almost 400,000 pounds of, of uh, benevolent items into Ukraine. That translates into a value of almost $3 million. Now, we've had to pay for some of these containers. To ship a container over, it costs between six dollars to $7,000. And so we've had to pay for some of those, but I've been able to work with... Uh, a partnership deal with some of the hospitals where they'll still give the church credit, but they will pay for some of the shipping expenses. They're getting some very valuable things. But we, the church, have had to pay 47000 close to $50,000 on shipping. And every one of these containers have been delivered, and I've just received this, this last week some information about the distribution. And here's a container that was shipped out of uh, Judsonia, Arkansas uh, into Odessa. And I was there and unloaded it. I go over twice a year. I'll be leaving the end of September to go over there and to eyeball to make sure that our things are being distributed and also to follow up on the contacts and to open opportunities for the church and to work with the church. These are all uh, things that we shipped. Here's a hospital bed, weighs 450 pounds. Uh, we shipped a container earlier, uh, about 
oh, maybe a month ago, and we had some hospital beds on there that weighed 720 pounds. And uh, we stand those upright. And uh, we can use some young backs because we've got, uh, we've got old guys like me that are, are lifting in those things. My son-in-law, Sean, and daughter, Rachel, uh, they worship with the Rivergate congregation, and they brought a group over and loaded two containers in February. Uh, this wasn't one of them, but they loaded those, some of those heavy beds. Whenever Russia invaded, invaded portions, it has not invaded all of Ukraine. It will not take all of Ukraine. It will never take all of Ukraine. But whenever the Russian army invaded, they took Crimea and then they took portions, pockets of the states of Donetsk and Lugansk. As they did that, they displaced immediately thousands and now millions of Ukrainian citizens. Most of them were children. There have been six to eight million casualties in the war that Russia has uh, begun. Only about one to two million of those casualties are military. The rest are civilian. Uh, that's, and most of those are women and children that have been killed in the artillery fire that Russia continues to pour into uh, eastern Ukraine. What happened in those early days was that we would take those children out of the orphanages and move them on further into Ukraine away from harm's way. Well, one of the places that would take these children was a summer camp. And that summer camp, when I first looked at it, uh, needed a lot of work, even to stay in the summer. Uh, but they were set about to winterize it because these children were not going home. And they needed a place in the winter. This is a temporary place. It's a place where children that have been traumatized by the war are given the opportunity to sit down and talk with counselors and to see that other children have been just as they are. Usually about 60 children are in this. The children painted, painted the, the walls there uh, as, as we're going into that compound. Part of the children's therapy is that of art therapy where they will, will draw or they'll write things and, and that will help to work out their emotions. And some of these uh, are very touching. Here is a... a statement. Uh, of course, it's in Ukrainian, but as I point out, mama is mama in, in every language. And what this little girl wrote after seeing her mother blown apart by an artillery shell, she said, I wish my mama would live forever. Another child wrote this, I wish my family would live forever. Uh, that's the situation that those children have to live with. And the children in this compound are between 5 to 13 years old. Here's another drawing from another uh, children's shelter. Uh, the shelter is down there at the bottom in the, uh, the little structure there. Uh, and it says Ukraine United. And it's got doves apiece above it. Here are some of the, the pictures of food distribution. Uh, through cooperation with many, we've been able to ship in hundreds of thousands of pounds of food. This dry food mix that you see, you really can't read on it, but it says, In Christ's Name, at the very uh, top of that label there. It comes from British Columbia, Canada. 
and a group up there that gave us, the Lord's Church, 50,000 pounds of dry food mix. And we gave them out in the name of the Lord's Church. This little boy has uh, a, a can of meat that also was given to us. Here is a lady. She's a sister in, in the Lord. She is, this is in Shatomer, uh, Ukraine. Uh, they deal with, uh, with a, actually a mother's center. Uh, the work started out as an effort to educate uh, Ukrainians about the traumas of abortion. And it started out really as an anti-abortion work and it has grown tremendously since that time. Uh, she's holding a little baby that was saved by this clinic, but uh, the mothers and the families involved need clothes, and so we've shipped over a number of clothes in that uh, for that work, and here's a little girl that's a part of it. This is a children's shelter that we uh, help to provide clothes to, and in this particular visit, uh, I was given some shoebox gifts, and you're probably familiar with those. That's where you take a shoebox and you just fill it full of stuff for, for children. You put socks and, and underwear. You put, you know, age-appropriate things, little dolls or little balls, things like that. And so I got to give out some of those things. This uh, box contained personal hygiene bags. They were just little cloth bags that ladies had sewn up. And inside them were toothpaste, toothbrushes, soaps, things like that that we gave the children. Here's a little girl that opened up one of her shoebox gifts, and she had a little doll in there. Uh, she did not have, these children had absolutely nothing because whenever Russia started uh, bombing and sending the missiles in, homes were blown up, and many of them did well just to get out on their own. Here's another little girl showing you what she had gotten out of her shoebox. And here's a, a little boy showing his. Here's another little girl. I, I wish I could have captured the sounds as they were opening these and uh, let you hear the, the, the joy that they have. This goes back to that summer camp that was uh, reworked to be a permanent camp. The children come there and they stay for 30 days. And then they are rotated out and another group of children come in. Uh, and, and unfortunately, many of them need to stay much longer, but they just can't do that. Uh, they are maxed out at a, a 60 that can be in there at one time. And whenever they first started, they had planned for 30. So they had money to feed 30 children. And then 30 more showed up. And they didn't know what they were going to do. But there was an anonymous businessman in that area. Uh, and the director told me they don't know his name. All they know is that a big truck will pull up every week and unload food for 30 children. And so because of his, his work and his kindness, these children are able to have some, uh, some help. This shows you some of the children that were there. Go the ages, as I said, the youngest at the point of my visit was five years, and it went up to 15 or 16 years. Here's a picture I asked the, the kids if I could make a picture of them. Uh, some of them do not want their pictures made because what happens is that Russia is scanning the Internet, and any pictures that are posted, 
if they see, if they can make a connection with relatives still in Russia or in occupied Ukraine, then they'll go and they'll arrest those people uh, because they say they're spies because their relatives are working. So many times they don't want pictures made, but these children uh, agreed for me to take a picture and I asked them all to smile. And if you look at them, they're not very happy faces. And I doubt you and I would be smiling very much if we'd gone through what they had gone through. Uh, the, uh, the young fella in, in the very front is from Crimea. Uh, and he was six years old. Uh, and he asked a question that I've been telling everybody, and, and it struck me at the time he asked. We sat around in a big, big uh, room and they asked me questions. They wanted to know what life was like in America and what I liked and what I didn't like. And uh, so I would would talk with them and uh, explain a, a number of things to them. Uh, I told them about my my grandchildren and I said uh, my one my oldest granddaughter wanted me to bring her back a dog that was pink and purple, pink with purple spots, and they all laughed at that. You don't remember that, Michaela, but uh, they, and then the director found a, a little pink dog, and she says, it doesn't have purple spots, but here it is, and so she gave me that, uh, but we had a wonderful, uh, wonderful conversation. This little boy, at the end, he raised his hand, and he said, have you ever had personal tragedy in your life? That's from a six-year-old. Six years old, asking that. You know, can a six-year-old fathom personal tragedy? It takes away the childhood, and that's, that's what you see in the faces of these. But, but remember, what you see here is multiplied by millions, uh, the, the children that are being hurt and, and damaged by the, the war. Here's the group that we had. About half of them had chicken pox, and so they weren't able to be there uh, here they are still, uh, they enjoy, they get at least four meals a day at that camp. And uh, we've helped with that, we've helped with clothes, we've helped with uh, bedding and things like that so that these children can have a place where they can come. That is a, a bowl of borscht. I ate it. Uh, they asked me if I'd like to eat it. Very good. Uh, I really felt bad because I was eating the food that I really wanted the children to have, but it would not have been very polite to turn it down. Besides, I like the borscht. It's good stuff. It's really good. And they had some good old country cooks there, and they could really cook a good good bowl. At the end of our, our question and answer period, uh, they wanted a group hug, and they just all kind of rushed me and uh, almost knocked me to the floor. This goes back to the children's shelter where I was giving out the shoebox gifts. And you can see this little fella, he's got his shoebox gift, and he also has his personal hygiene bag. And, and we're constantly being asked uh, for personal hygiene products for the, the displaced people. And let me just stop and, and define for you the, uh, the term that is, is proper is uh, internally displaced people. That's IDP, so I'll use that abbreviation. It's not refugees. Refugees leave one country and go to another country. But this isn't happening in Ukraine. In Ukraine, they're all in Ukraine, but they're going from one place to another place with nothing at all. And so they are internally displaced 
people or persons IDPs. This takes you to the church in Ivano Prankisk. The church was uh, founded uh, back in, uh, I think, 2010, I believe. I'm not real sure. Uh, but we started out in the public library with a number of three, and the church has, has continued to grow. These are some of the, uh, the children that we have. Sasha is the young boy. Uh, then you have Eva, and then there is Sophia. And here is a picture of the church worshiping. We rent a flat. We're in the process of building a meeting place for the, the church there. Uh, and as you can see, the room is full. In fact, we'll go through in a moment and see the full group. This is the youngest member of the congregation. Her name is Diana, and uh, she was born to a family of IDPs that uh, had left Donetsk and had come and obeyed the gospel. There's little Eva. Here's uh, a Sunday assembly, and, and we'll see another picture getting the other side in on them in just a moment, and you will see we have a uh, contingent of uh, Africans that are there, and they're there because they're, the medical school in Ukraine used to be in Donetsk, and these fellows came to attend the medical school in Donetsk and go back to Africa to practice medicine. When Russia invaded, the Donetsk uh, medical school was moved out to Ivano-Frankivsk, and uh, they... Uh, were displaced as well. The fella in the gold shirt uh, standing over toward the, the end there, right in front of the fella with the blue stripe on his, uh, is named Emmanuel. He's a brother in the Lord, faithful Christian. Uh, he's very diligent in the Lord's service, and I'll have more to say about uh, Emmanuel in a minute. This uh, will show you the picture of Tanya. She's uh, the interpreter that uh, I use and other Americans use. She is also the coordinator for Ukraine activities. Next to her is Ivan Skaliba, who is the evangelist for the uh, Ivano Frank, his church. Here's little Sophia. Uh, on my last visit, we went outdoors for a picnic. Uh, there is uh, another Sophia, uh, and she has her little baby doll. She likes to she always wants to have a baby doll with her. This lady is an IDP, and her son is Svetislav. If you look, this is, is her story. I asked her to write that, and those of you that get the newsletter, this was in last month's newsletter. But look, her name is Ina. She was a professor of history in Donetsk University. She had to leave because she was about to be killed because she favored Ukraine. Uh, when Russia invaded. She said, just several years ago, I did not want to go on with life as I saw no purpose whatsoever. My husband left me with a child. He was pro-Russian. And as the situation has been, that has split many families. Uh, both men and women have left their mates because their mates were pro-Ukrainian. Well, her husband is pro-Russian. Uh, left me with a child. Then war in Donetsk began and I had to leave. My life was sought to be killed because I was pro-Ukrainian. I left my place in Donetsk with everything I had there hoping that war would be over soon. But the war dragged on and on. Nobody wanted to hear us. It seemed that nobody cared. 
I prayed to God asking him to take me, but I was concerned for my son. It was when I came to Church of Christ that I and my son found care and sympathy for the first time. And I thank God for you brethren. Well, as, as you listen to what Ena is saying, let me present that. And I may have given you a little bit of her background on the last visit. When Ena left Donetsk, came out to Ivano Frankiesk, the, uh, the people dealing with IDPs contacted the church and uh, we had family buckets that had personal hygiene items and soaps and washing detergents and a five-gallon plastic bucket crammed full of things like that. We gave Ina one of those. On it, it had a label that says, Churches of Christ where everyone is loved. And uh, Ina just couldn't believe that somebody would give away things like that. And so she said, I want to find out about that. So she started visiting, started attending. She attended for many months, and then she became uh, an obedient uh, child of God. She was immersed for the forgiveness of her sins. But her story is a capsule of what we're doing, and I say we, including the congregation here, because you are helping us. Here's Tanya and Marina. Here's the other half of that Sunday assembly. And you can see more over there. The young man on the very end is named Velody. He's a gospel preacher, and right in front of him is Valentina, the oldest member of the congregation. She is an IDP. She had to leave Donetsk, and she had to leave everything that she had and uh, uh, just get up and, and, and leave. That would be very difficult for any of us. Here I am holding Sophia and, and little Eva. Uh, here is Andrew and Marina. They were both baptized uh, into the Lord's Church in Ivano Frankisk after much study. Andrew uh, lived in the city of Kivarig, uh, but he now is in Ivano Frankisk. He has a degree in international law, and he's one of the, uh, the stalwarts in the Lord's Church there. Here is Valentina. Here is Emmanuel, and, and uh, the fellow behind Emmanuel is named Pavel, or his short name is Pasha, and he is also a gospel preacher in Kivarig. Here I am with the African guys. Not all of these are members of the Lord's church. Emmanuel is, as I said, and Emmanuel has been working the student body and encouraged them to come, and so... Whenever I came with my classes the last uh, trip and a half ago, uh, he had a room full of uh, African uh, medical students. We've had folks from Sierra Leone, the Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Ghana, and I'm not sure where else, but Emmanuel is a wonderful fella. Uh, he has a smile that immediately uh, attracts you to him, and he's a good man. Uh, and he's a hard worker. He wants to get his physician's license, go back to Ghana, and uh, practice medicine and help the Lord's church there. As a result of our efforts, uh, we're seeing the fruits of the gospel. Here you have Alexi and you have Julia that are being baptized. They are the parents, little Diana. Uh, they came to Ivano Frankis from uh, Donetsk, they had to leave. Uh, interesting stories behind both of them. Oleksii is a mechanic 
he's found a job in Ivano Frankis, but his boss wants him to do some uh, unethical, immoral things associated with the job. Alexi can't do that, and so he's in trouble with his boss. Julia's mom is a hard atheist, but she said Julia has betrayed her country's religion. Now, how do you reconcile an atheist with that? Only by looking at it as a natural, a national religion. Uh, she doesn't believe, her mother doesn't believe in God or anything, but she says she has turned her back on, on uh, the religion of her country. And she's putting great pressure on them. Here is Luba, and her husband is, uh, what is her husband's name? Just slipped my mind here. Oh, Yaroslav, Yaroslav, Yaroslav and Luba. Uh, Yaroslav is 90 years old, 90 years old. And uh, he was just baptized this summer. And uh, he was in charge of setting up the dental clinics for all of Ivano Frankisk under the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was still in control. He was a very important man. He was a dentist. His son is a dentist. And uh, those of you that get the newsletters, you'll remember that the story about Yaroslav and Luba, are, uh, the stories are there. And uh, in that, they talk about they got their son to come and visit. I've met him in some of my Bible classes. His son's wife sings in the Catholic choir, and he's managed to get her to visit the assemblies, and so they're working hard. They started attending the congregation last October, uh, and, and they've been studying, uh, they've been listening, and uh, they have come to a knowledge of the truth and obeyed the gospel. Uh, here is a summer camp that has just uh, concluded. This is in the most recent newsletter. Seven were baptized, over 300 Christians from a number of locations were baptized in this summer camp. And here you can see the different uh, places. This baptism is in the city of Harsisk. Uh, we established the church in Harsisk in 1996, but Harsisk is right in the middle of the rebel territory now. Uh, and, and it's amazing that the church is able to even meet and function because uh, recently the rebels passed a law saying that any religious group other than the Russian Orthodox Church uh, would have to have special permission. We see that eliminates the Ukrainian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Greek Catholics, and the Roman Catholics. And so that, you know, this has been a holy war uh, for them. And actually the Roman, I mean the Russian Orthodox priests have blessed the, the soldiers because they're retaking Ukraine for the Russian Orthodox Church. But this Harsisk is right in the middle of this war zone. And yet here you have, there were five that were baptized uh, in July. Now here is a fellow that's one of the, uh, the African students, as you can tell. Uh, his name is Nana. Uh, you, would, you would say it's Nana but it's Nana is the way that they pronounce it. Nana uh, comes from uh, Ghana, Africa. His granddaddy was a chief of a province. And remember in, in the, uh, the, the tribal territories, it wouldn't cover the entire nation, but it'd be a, a pretty significant area. 
his granddaddy was a tribal chief, so he was pretty high up in the, uh, the cultural order there. But his granddaddy was a, a pagan. He practiced what they called voodoo. Uh, and, and so uh, Nana's mother and father, they, they somehow became members of the Pentecostal church and so Nana was brought up in the Pentecostal church. Whenever they did that, they left paganism. They were immediately disherited. Uh, they lost everything. Nana's father was killed. Uh, later on, his grandfather was killed. Nana comes over to <coughs> Ukraine to go to medical school, and he steps right in the middle of a war, and he immediately gets shifted from the east to the west, and then he meets Emmanuel. And Emmanuel talks to Nana. And Emmanuel can tell Nana's a good guy, has a good heart. And Nana started coming to my Bible classes with Emmanuel. And that was last October he started coming. And so he's been studying and been studying ever since. Well, just this last month in July, Nana decided he wanted to be baptized. And here's a picture of him. Immediately following his baptism, don't you love that smile? Like the Ethiopian eunuch, he was rejoicing on his way. Nana understood the truth. He wanted to obey the truth. He understood the error that he had been following, that his parents had been following, and he wanted to be a New Testament Christian. Well, now Nana is, is also like Emmanuel. He says, I want to get my physician's license. I want to go back into Ghana, and I want to spread the gospel. All that started uh, in, in Ukraine, in, in the place that you brethren help us to, to work. Uh, but look at the connection. Isn't that amazing at, at how it goes? And, and it, it continues to go on and on like that. Well, that, that gives you a brief, a brief summary of all that we are doing. Uh, well, not all that we're doing, but partially what we're doing uh, in our partnership in taking the gospel into the world. We are utilizing every opportunity to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. And you're a part of that. Uh, you help. Your, your financial support is significant, and I thank you for that. And, and I want you to understand what a significant part you play in the impact that the gospel is making not only in Ukraine but in, in many other places as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful work, wonderful partnership that we share and I thank you for being partners with me in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I said, I'd be glad to add you to the, the news mail list uh, that you'll get these monthly reports and uh, news items that, that we send out because I want you to know what's happening uh, with your mission money and how it's being spent. We want to extend at this point the Lord's invitation. And we extend it to those like those we've seen on the, the slides to those that understand their need to obey the gospel. They know that they're lost. They know that they can't do it by themselves. Their strength is not sufficient. 
They know that there is a creator greater than they and that one day they'll stand before that great creator and they'll have to give an account for their lives. And so they want to be reconciled to him so that they will not be an en enemy to him, but they'll be his beloved child. Are there those in the assembly tonight that are in that condition? Are there those that are present who have never put on Jesus Christ in baptism? Never confessed Jesus as the Son of God before an assembly of people. Never been immersed for the forgiveness of sins. Baptized into the body of Christ, into the family of God. If there are those that are here in that condition, now is an opportune time. Seize the moment. Take advantage of the opportunity. Don't leave without becoming a child of God. If you are a child of God, and maybe your dedication and your zeal has slackened to some extent, and you need to rededicate yourself and recommit yourself, you can do that tonight. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in a public way. If, if there's public sin, it needs to be confessed publicly, but if it's just a private matter, you can take care of that, uh, even as you're standing and singing and recommitting yourself to God in, in personal prayer. But if we can help you to respond in a public way, won't you do it right now as we stand and sing?